This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Roger Rapport podcast. I'm Richard Spate in Wales and I'm joined down the line from Brighton, is it? By um, Kieran Maguire from the Price of Football podcast. How are you, Kieran? I'm, I'm okay. Um, I, I went through a bit of a dodgy patch for a couple of days, but uh, yeah, the, the Sunderland stories restored me back to life. <laughs> it's invigorating. <laughs> a set of accounts to look at. <laughs> seems to be what gets you going so thanks for sparing a few moments of your time today to to talk to me you had a really interesting conversation with chris weatherspoon on the wise men say podcast the other day and i know that he's written extensively about this issue and it was really good to hear you going through the detail of the revelations that i think um, most people have seen by now that have come out in the last couple of days uh, it clarified a lot of things for me regarding the revelations and the writing off of the 20 million plus owed to the club by Madrox. Could you summarise for our listeners, Kieran, your take on the reasons why the club might have written off the debt? Well, the club is owned by Madrox, but I think whoever buys Sunderland will buy Sunderland Limited or Sunderland AFC Limited, in effect, so they'll buy the football club and they will acquire all of its assets. Now, if one of those assets was a £20 million debt due from Madrox, then clearly that would imp- influence the price you'd pay um, if you were aware of its existence. Um, and that would be over over the course of the, the next you know, 12 to 24 months, I don't know how long the period is, would be cash you'd be expecting to receive. Uh, you know, in, in the case of Sunderland Football Club, um, all clubs in the lower leagues are going through a, a really sticky patch. We don't know when football is going to return. So, so you look at football income, you've got match day, which stadium of lights going to be significant. You've got uh, the TV deal, which will be somewhere between from next season, being about £1 million in, the, in, in League One, £7 million in the Championship, if football is taking place. And then you've got commercial deals from your kit sponsors, front of shirt sponsors and so on. Um, but that will be linked to whether or not football is taking place. So potentially you could lose all three of your regular forces of inc- sources of income. So the twenty million pounds due from Madrox would, might be something you'd be you'd be budgeting for, but by writing off that debt, which is perfectly legal, um, that cash wouldn't therefore be receivable. So it puts the club in a more vulnerable position financially. 
Well, it, it means that whoever is going to be running the club, um, and remember, no sale has taken place as yet. So, it, so if, if no sale takes place over the course of the next four or five years, and, and uh, I think Mr. Donald and Mr. Medvan have both said, oh, we've got a five-year project, which seems inconsistent with the noises that I've been hearing for at least 12 months, and I think well. clearly you and Sunderland have been hearing as well. Um, so the, there is an inconsistency there. If, if they are going to own the club for five years, actually, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference. If they are looking to sell the club, then whoever takes over, um, that would make it more difficult for them because it's reducing the cash. Absolutely. So um, Charlie Methven, you mentioned there, he's he's boasted that kind of the operating costs at the club have been dramatically reduced and that it's now on a more sustainable footing um, in in interviews he's done, etc. Um, and you've described the club in your interview with, with Chris the other day as rel- relatively debt-free. Um, does that put us in a strong position relative to other clubs in League One when it comes to surviving what's going on at the minute and surviving post-COVID-19? Well, there's... There's two types of costs in any business, and I don't want to sound like an accountant, but there's there's what we refer to as fixed costs. Fixed costs are things that you've got to pay regardless. Um, so you know, there'd be things like the rates, which you won't have to pay because mm-hmm. we're in sort of a, you know, a furlough scheme for taxes as well. Um, you're going to have to go and pay sort of maintenance costs on, on a regular basis. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, for a football club, you, you've got a fixed cost in the form of the players' wages. Because if you get rid of the players, then you've got nothing to play football with. Um, but of course, if you also get rid of the players, you get rid of their their transfer value. So that's why we're seeing, it doesn't matter what club you are, that that's going to be an issue. Because when, when football does return, uh, either you've lost out on potential transfer fee income coming in, or you're going to have to go and pay money to recruit players. Now, it could be that there's going to be a vast pool of unemployed footballers this summer, and you'll be able to go and pick up a you know, 15, 20, uh, you know, unemployed footballers. And half the teams in League One last season didn't spend a penny signing players. So, yeah, so we, it, hardly, we hardly spend any and, and, you know, we're meant to have more money than than all the other clubs put together. And yeah, so that that is interesting that there's, there's going to be that churn and there's the ability to take players on freeze probably across the leagues. Um, just thinking about the the accounts because um, you mentioned, I think, to Chris that you you'd seen the accounts that that they've been something that you were aware of these leaked accounts from the they're twenty eighteen nineteen isn't that right? That, that's correct. Um, yeah. Some I, I can't go into details, but somebody sent no. them to me um, yeah. first week in March and said, "Right, what do you think of these?" And, mm. and we had a word, we had a chat off record. Um, and I felt it would be, it certainly would be inappropriate of me at the time to have gone public on them because we don't know whether they are legitimate or not. Mm. Um, and also, I'm, I'm fully aware that many organisations are, I wouldn't say that they're paranoid, but they're always worried about leaks. So therefore, they will put in mixed figures so that you'll be, or can always go and trace back to where the leaks come from. So, yeah, almost like that town on the map that doesn't actually exist and is there to, to catch the the copyright uh, thief. That's right, absolutely. I do have a particular name, I can't quite remember it. But um, anyway, so you've seen those accounts. Um, you see what what the consistent of the leak. Um, how close in from those figures were Sunderland to breaking even day to day in terms of its operating costs, the way it was run? Um, I 
I, I can't say, unfortunately, because, no. again, that, that might give something away. Right. Um, so, okay. so I, I, I don't, I don't want to be sort of. I, I know, but no, I can't tell you. But I, I genuinely feel I don't want to go and drop somebody else in it. Right. Um, no, no, that's absolutely fine, and uh, we're not after kind of lynch mobs either <laughs> out on the streets of Sunderland. But I mean, has has the cost base come down? Yes. Um, it, it did seem a bit self congratulatory. The comments from Mister Methven. Um, because you would expect any football club two years after being relegated uh, to have got its cost base down, because that that yeah. that is the purpose of parachute payments. Um, otherwise, and I appreciate there's a debate about parachute payments. Uh, if you don't have parachute payments, you are jumping off a cliff financially because you're going from a hundred million pounds in the in the Premier League to seven million pounds in the Championship. And well, if if you jump off a cliff you tend to crash on the book. And the reason why parachute payments were introduced was that before they existed, there were lots of clubs getting relegated from the Premier League, going down to the championship and then very quickly ending up in administration. So that's, that's the purpose of the parachute payments. It's to give the club a couple of years to get that wage bill down, either by contracts expiring or by selling the players or by coming to some form of arrangement with the player. So I think that's in the main is what is what we've seen um, at the Stadium of Light. So, so what, what, what they've done is what you'd expect them to do. Um, Stoke have taken a different approach, but Stoke are being bankrolled by bank by Bet three six five. Well, that 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 brings us on to kind of the next part of the conversation, really, which is looking at the future. Um, obviously, um, there aren't too many folk around of the uh, of the wealth of the uh, owners of Bet three six five and Stoke City, uh, who will be able to you know keep putting cash in until well. They'll probably the interest will cover the cash they're putting in, but we often hear that in like in the financial crisis, investors, financiers are often looking to try and hoover up underpriced assets. How would you um, characterize the marketplace for buying and investing in clubs like us right at the minute? Obviously, Newcastle are going through they're in a different situation, going through a takeover at the minute. So there's obviously a market for football clubs, but uh, what what's it like at, at this level? Um, it, it is at present very much a buyer's market um, in, in the sense that there are a number of distressed clubs. So I'm I'm aware of other clubs on your coastline um, that are that are presently up for sale. And, uh, you know, I'm aware of the prices that are being asked for them. And, and the buyers are turning around and laughing at those prices. And I say, well, you know, divide that by three and perhaps we, you know, we, we might start to talk. Um, we have seen clubs being bought earlier this year. So, so Charlton, who were in the championship, they went for a pound. Uh, I think uh, Wigan went just before Christmas. Um, and those were at prices uh, lower than Sunderland. Uh, but clearly those, have, uh, fans, those are clubs with smaller fan bases. But they also have the benefit of uh, championship TV revenue. So, so there's a bit of swings and roundabouts. Um, it, it is a market where if you wanted to buy a football club for a pound today, the, a deal is on. Because what you're doing is, it's not the fact that you're buying the club, is that you're actually buying a commitment to pay the wages for players for the remainder of their contracts and the overheads, and you've got no money coming in. So the existing owner is walking away from that burden. 
So that's why you're getting the name of the club for a quid. Um, I don't think Sunderland are in that position. Uh, equally, if, if they are looking for the, the £35 million, which is the, uh, the price which has been circulated, certainly in the present market, that looks frothy. That looks, you know, that looks very high. At the top end, top, yep. end, of, top end of the market. Um, so obviously the, the value of EFL clubs is, is plummeting. During the, during this, we don't have football. We don't know when football is coming back, as you've said. With all this kind of complex financial talk going on, many of our listeners are going to be really nervous that Sunderland are in a in a perilous state. How would you kind of quantify the risk that Sunderland uh, uh, face at the minute in terms of their ability to to continue as a business? Well, everything at this stage is to do with cash flow. So, you know, do they have cash in the bank? Um, it would appear that the the loan from FPP is around about ten million pounds, if if the rumours are correct. Mm-hmm. So therefore, that would have been cash which should have come into the club. That will allow it give it some some breathing space, allow it to pay the the ongoing the ongoing commitments. Um, what additional cash does the club have coming in? It might have some outstanding. I'm just looking at my figures here. Um, in 2018, they were due to receive £16 million in, in transfer fee income, but they had to pay out 18. So, mm. you know, they were on a net net deficit. Um, since then, you have to excuse me, I I, I don't have the 2019 accounts. No. Yeah, the same as everybody no else. Does. But but I, I don't have the I don't I don't have the knowledge of the club. So I don't know what mm-hmm. your sales of players were since July 2018. I don't um, think we've sold many players for that much money uh, no. we, as i think again i think chris mentioned we've we sold a couple of youngsters recently um that's upset a lot of the fan base obviously because you want to bring through young players and it's a, it's a club that's always always done that always brought players through and, and that has annoyed i think a few people but if it's cash that's king at the minute it may be um uh, gives a certain explanation, if not an excuse, for 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 the selling uh, of of those young players. Um, you've said repeatedly on your podcast, which I am a fan of, massive fan of, as I've said, uh, that the fans are the biggest investors in football, um, especially at our level, and that football should not be viewed simply as yet another business, a shop or a widget maker or whatever. We've seen that elsewhere in Europe. Clubs of all sizes are kind of social clubs. They're owned by their members, by their fans. How does that model work for, say, a German team like Hamburg or in Spain, like with Bilbao or, or someone like that? How do they compete financially and stay afloat? Because they're competing in the same market as the Man, Man Cities and Newcastles and, and those kinds of clubs. Well, they are competing and they're not. What, what you have in German football culture is an acceptance that actually they're not going to try to outbid the, the big clubs, you know, the, the, the ones that are going to be in the last 16 of the Champions League. Um, they are going to have a budget and stick to it. The club is allowed to, to borrow money, but it's always done in a very cautious manner. And um, that means you, you accept a limited amount of potential success for your club. And, and if you take a look at Germany, you know, Bayern have won the the Bundesliga for the last six, seven years now, mm. um, which, which you know, that that's one of the downsides because it means 
that if you have other clubs which are being effectively externally funded, and, and Bayern is externally funded to a certain extent, um, as is Wolfsburg, you know, um, as as, a, as are uh, Hoffenheim, who've, who've caused a you know, huge stink with yeah. the way that they've yeah. been organised. So what you get is the club is more representative of the fan base. Um, it also means that um, you can't just write out a check for £80 million because somebody thinks it's a good idea to do so. So, so that's, that, that's the deal. Um, but it's your club. And, yeah. and I think there is that, that more common sense of bonding. If, if we take a look at what's happened here in the UK, fan ownership, um, ex- the experience is, is mixed. If, if you talk to people at Motherwell, absolutely fantastic but motherwell haven't spent money on a player for eight years so again it, it, you buy into that you you accept that we probably know who's going to win the scottish premiership from year to year basis um, and when you're competing for third or fourth place you know in, in a really good season um Partick Thistle have effectively now just become fan controlled because one of their former fans won the lottery effectively well, he sadly passed away, yeah. um, and he put the club into fan ownership. So, so th- there are positive examples. Uh, Exeter City, another good example um, of a small community, uh, city or town-based club um, that people are proud to be associated with, and and it's relatively democratic. Um, the downside is that Wickham Wanderers were fan-owned until two or three months ago. Wickham Wanderers would be out of business. Wickham Wanderers would have gone to, into administration had they not been taken over privately because simply they, they weren't making enough money to survive and, and the, 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 the running costs of the club were such that the, the committee who were effectively in charge, they knew that they, were in, they, had, a deep, they had a significant problem. Um, if you talk to Portsmouth fans... Portsmouth, again, they went through a series of toxic owners whose interests were to flip the club. Now, yeah, th- this might this might resonate with Sunderland yeah. fans. <laughs> Somebody comes in, big fanfare. I've, I've got the best interests of the club at heart. And literally from the following day, they're, they're, they're looking, can they go and find somebody else to sell it to at a profit? So, so Portsmouth... If you recall, they were in the Premier League. They actually went into a receive, a administration in the Premier League. And then they went through a series of in- increasingly more unsavoury owners um, until finally they were rescued by the fans themselves. The downside of a fan-owned club is if you get to a certain level, it becomes very difficult to compete. Um, in the championship, the average losses are about 25 million now how can the fan base fund those losses they've they've got they've got two choices they can either say we're going to have a regular funding exercises but you know fans are people like you and me with regular jobs fans are people like you and me with kids and mortgages and so on we simply don't have the money to do it or they say well we're not going to try to get sort of the average level of losses we're going to do what Rotherham do. We're going to do what Burton Albion do. Set ourselves a low budget. Our target is to be in the top three of the bottom six of the championship. And, and, and realistically, that's all they can do because there is such a close correlation between the wages you pay 
and where you end up at the end of the season. So, so Portsmouth fans had had that issue, and they sold out to to Michael Eisner. Do you think um, post COVID nineteen, obviously, um, there's been a lot of talk. Um, I think Rick Parry was talking about this, the potential of a salary cap, six thousand pounds a week, has been mooted. I know that you and Kevin were discussing this the the other day um, on your pod. Um, do you think that that salary cap that and the restructuring of football, which may well be restructured, you've seen it in Germany, they've restructured um, to a certain extent the, the structure of the league, that that op- might open up a more sustainable route for clubs to be funded in a different way? Potentially, yes, but it's it's fraught with difficulties. Um, we, we have a salary cap in League One and League Two. Half the clubs are losing money. Mm-hmm. So... Does it mean reducing the cap? Potentially it does. Um, as far as the championship is concerned, uh, the, the championship, it, it's, it, it's, where, it's where oceans meet because you've got a club such as Rotherham or Burton with a relatively small fan base which can come up from League One and it can be pay, playing against Aston Villa uh, or Newcastle or Sunderland yeah. or a club that have just been relegated from the Premier League who instantly start off with a £40 million parachute payment. Um, but it also is a club that's just been relegated with players who are on salaries which were Premier League salaries. And even if they've got um, relegation clauses, the, the, the amounts being paid are still eye-watering. And if, if you are a fan of one of those clubs, you know, what, what if you've got an owner, as we've seen with Stoke City, as we've seen with Fulham, who the owner has said, yeah, I'm, I'm a billionaire. So actually, I want the club to return straight back to the Premier League. I've got these players on these contracts. When I signed them, I didn't think we were going to get relegated. So therefore, I've not got relegation clauses. What can, what can the EFL do in those circumstances? Because the, the EFL rules are not superior to, to English law. And in English law, says that if, if I've got a contract to be paid £68,000 a week, which I don't know whether you saw the report in, in one, I think it was the Mail the last uh, last week, which uh, it showed the highest paid player, the highest paid manager, the highest paid kit man, the highest paid oh, physio yes, yes, yes. Yep, in, in the championship. Um, that, so the highest paid player in the championship is on uh, £68,000 a week. And now that's it's, um, probably Mitrovic. You were saying. Well, yeah, yeah. It it said it said in the uh, very coyly it said in the newspaper he's a southern based player. Well, Mitrovic <laughs> was was a cracking centre forward in my view. Who who Newcastle let go to Fulham and he just proved how good a good a striker he was. Um, Fulham signed him on a very good deal. So so I suspect it you know, it could be him. You've then got. Managers on three and a half million. I think that's a northern-based club. Yeah, yeah. I think you were suggesting it may be uh, our um, our rivals down the down the year one. Um, Correct. You playing white. Yes. <laughs> um, and if 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 a, if if a if an owner wants the club to get promoted, it it does cause an arms race with other clubs. So that clearly there is a problem, but. Um, Parachute payments are are both a good and an evil. So Rick Parry says they're an evil that must be eradicated. 
Um, he, he was also one of the people that formed the Premier League, which created the gap between the Premier League and the, the Championship. So it, it, it would make it really difficult if you've got players in the Championship on six grand a week and then the club gets promoted to the Premier League where the average wage is around about 70k a week. Now, how do you... Some of them will get pay rises, but some of them simply won't be good enough. And all of a sudden, you've got to recruit effectively a whole team or a whole squad to play in the Premier League. And that that causes issues. Yeah, we, we've seen the issues between the Championship and League One. If you, if you look at the three sides who were promoted yeah. last season, Charlton, Barnsley and Wigan, they are... Op- occupying the bottom three places in the championship. You look at Rotherham, Rotherham are a yo-yo club. You look at Burton, Burton went up, stayed a couple of seasons. You know, Wigan have been yo-yoing, Bolton were doing the same um, until their owners took them, uh, you know, effectively destroyed them. Well, that, so, that, so there's huge problems. Yeah, and that isn't a position I think many Sunderland fans would like to see our club in. Uh, I don't think um, our self-perception is a... Is a of a club that that's bouncing between League One and and the Championship, possibly bouncing between the Championship and and the Premier League is just about acceptable for for for, for your average fan. But the um, the picture you paint of the future of football is is quite bleak, I have to say. Um, it's realistic. <laughs> it's realistic, and I think there's a, a lot of um, misconceptions need to be broken down at the minute about exactly what kind of parlour state we're we're in as a game. Um, if you were putting yourself in the position of someone advising the the shareholders of Madrox, what would you be telling them about where they should go, and, and it, both financially, but but also in terms of what they have said themselves about the care that they have for the club? The 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 we saw on Sunderland till I die, uh, Methan talking about the the role of Madrox as, as custodians of the club. Well, if you are advising them as to what to do with this asset that they have, that is causing them so much um, media grief and 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 other sorts of grief. What what would you say? Well, well first of all, he he chose the right words. Now it could be that he chose the right words for public relations purposes, but uh, their their position is custodian. They they are the guardians. Yeah, that should be the role of a club owner. And um, I, I was talking to a guy called Gary Sweet, who's uh, one of the owners at Luton, who's in exactly the same position, but they appeared to have a sort of a, a, a long-term plan. Um, if, if I was advising Madrox, um, I would be saying, well, let's take a look at the budgets. And, and you know, by all means, it, it looks like Methven has done that. What is realistic? Do we have the funds to uh, allow the club to continue if so for so lo- for how long and if we don't um then what are our, our alternatives um in, in terms of selling it um is is there a market for a prospective buyer I, I wouldn't be looking to make a profit on it and, and i think that's one of the disappointing things i've heard from Stuart donald you know he said well why shouldn't i make a profit there's, there's no reason why he shouldn't make a profit um if he's if he's run it well but he inherited a club which has just been relegated to League One on one of the highest uh, budgets for a League One club in terms of revenue, and, and he failed to deliver. So, you know, that that is is a black mark against his, uh, his leadership. So I think desperately trying to make money um, 
isn't isn't in necessarily the interests of the owners. Sometimes you've just got to accept it's best to get out now, and uh, and find people that do have uh, either either deeper pockets or a different strategy. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I I don't know enough about the club. You know, I've seen Sunderland till I die, like everybody else. And um, as an, as a non fan, it was captivating stuff. Yeah, my, my wife's not a big football fan, but she watched it for the for the showbiz element. You know, it was drama, it was box office. It, you know, it was proper popcorn uh, entertainment. But I wasn't emotionally invested like all the Sunderland fans that I know, and I and I work with with two Sunderland season ticket holders, and I know how much it, it hurts them, and it, you know, it'll be hurting you, Rich, and yeah. Chris, and the other people <laughs> that I've spoken to and we've got to know, uh, sort of you know, in, in the past few days. So, yeah, it did hurt Sunderland till I die. I have to say, well, it wasn't an easy watch. Certainly towards the end, it was nice to begin with, but uh, after that, the 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 sheen uh, certainly uh, left left for me. I, I I was in tears by the end of it, to be absolutely frank. But and I knew what was coming. I was there. So, um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time, Kieran. It's been an absolute honour to speak to you, and I hope you're feeling better soon. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Because I know you've not been not been too well, and yeah, and um, do please keep an eye on on our accounts when they're announced again. I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about it on on the price of football, and yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks, thanks very much for the invite, Rich. Cheers, no problem at all. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.